Loving God, help us to set our minds on divine things rather than human things. Help us to see the world as you see it and join you on the way of transformation. Amen. Friends, have any of you ever read the Stephen King novel, The Stand? I have to admit, I've not actually read it. It is famously, epically long. But Jimmy and I just finished watching a new TV adaptation of this apocalyptic story of good versus evil. We found it strangely prescient as King sets the story in motion by imagining what would happen to the people left on Earth in the aftermath of a deadly virus. How quickly would civilized behavior begin to fade? How soon would the fight for survival lead to morally compromised choices? Would anyone stand up for their values in the end, even if it cost them in terms of comfort or expedience? The Gospel of Mark is likewise an epic apocalyptic story of good versus evil, told at a hinge point of human history. In it, Jesus confronts the power and brutality of the Roman Empire and the venal priests and scribes of the Jewish temple through which Rome asserted its power in Jerusalem. And Jesus is then executed by Rome for his troubles. And that would seem to have been the end of it, except that it wasn't. What Rome rejected, God resurrected. And the good news that Jesus taught about peace, about justice and equity for the poor, this good news lives on in the hearts and the lives of Jesus' followers. Or at least it should because that is Jesus' call to us today to take up our cross and follow him on the way. The way leads directly to confrontation with the authorities that oppress God's people, and ultimately the way leads to the transformation of the world and the birth of God's kingdom. But I'm getting ahead of the story. In the excerpt from Mark's Gospel that we heard this morning, Jesus is just beginning to explain to his followers what this world transformation is going to take. It's not going to be easy. As Jesus says today, Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. Confronting the powers of this world will lead to suffering. Jesus' teaching will be rejected. His stand for God's values even means that he will be killed. Now, this is the first time that Jesus really laid out the way ahead to his disciples, and frankly, they did not want to hear it. So far, Jesus has been leading them all over the countryside, healing those who have been brutalized by the Roman regime, feeding the hungry at gatherings that brought together Jews and Gentiles, clean and unclean, at one beautiful table set with God's overflowing hospitality. 
At one of those occasions, he feeds 5,000 on the lakeshore, and on another, he feeds 4,000 in the desert. Following Jesus up until this point had meant seeing the joy on faces that were forgiven. It meant rejoicing with people who were healed and breaking bread with people who were hungry. It was not easy work, but it was joyful and rewarding work to follow Jesus. But now, something has shifted. Jesus begins to steer his disciples away from the countryside and toward Jerusalem. He's decided that the time has come to go to the center of power and authority and to make his stand for God's truth. This turn towards Jerusalem is a hinge point in Mark's gospel. Right before the passage that we heard today, Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them, who do people say that I am? And Peter answers him, you are the Messiah. Mark goes on to say then that Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Two things to note here. First, that Jesus has never claimed to be the Messiah. This is not something that he's taught his disciples. And that he seems ambivalent about this identity. Peter voices this realization that Jesus is the Messiah before the transfiguration, that miraculous scene on the mountaintop that we heard about a couple of weeks ago. We're now before that in the timeline. And when Peter calls Jesus the Messiah, this is a sudden insight, a moment of faith that comes directly from God for, G for Peter to proclaim this. And then Jesus does not deny that he's the Messiah, but then why does he order them not to tell anyone? Why is he so ambivalent about claiming this messianic identity? So there were probably good practical reasons that Jesus didn't want the word to get out, at least not too quickly. For one thing, they just heard about Herod's brutal murder of John the Baptist. And if they came after John, well, they would come after Jesus too. Jesus wanted to have enough time to get to Jerusalem and to make his stand before the authorities, before they put a mark on his head in that way. But there is another reason that Jesus is reluctant to claim the title of Messiah. Before he calls himself the Messiah, he has to teach his disciples what a Messiah really means. For Peter, for all Jews in fact, the Messiah, the Anointed One, was the one coming to save them from the oppression of empire and of the corruption of the temple. The Messiah would come and set things right in a great show of power that would upend the political order of the world and establish God's kingdom in one great apocalyptic victory. But Jesus knew that it wasn't going to be that easy, that that isn't the way it was going to happen. He knew that he had to undergo suffering and be rejected and be killed before God's kingdom could be established. And he knew that God's kingdom would grow not through military victories, but slowly, an inch at a time, as hearts came under God's sway. 
For Peter, the Messiah was going to be this conquering hero. And the idea that the Messiah, the Savior, would have to suffer, would be rejected and killed, was simply too much for Peter to take in. It was cognitive dissonance. Peter couldn't even listen to it. And he took Jesus aside and told him so. And Jesus responds to Peter in turn with that famous command that we heard in the gospel this morning, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Satan literally means adversary. It's the one who blocks your way forward. And Jesus' way forward, he knows, is towards Jerusalem, towards conflict, suffering, rejection, and death. Peter's mind is on a human answer to a human problem, to fight power with power, to overcome might with might. But Jesus' mind is on a divine answer to this human problem, to fight power with peace and love. These, friends, these are God's tools, and they are the only hope that we have to overcome the powers of this world. Jesus' teaching about a servant Messiah, about a suffering Messiah, is surprising. And his call that we should take up our cross and follow him on this difficult road is inspiring but daunting. What can it mean for us to take up our cross in our lives? The reality is, most of us don't live on such an epic scale of good versus evil. Does Jesus' way give us any direction for the ordinary things of life? How do we choose to keep our house and set our table? How do we act at work? How do we behave at the grocery store or the doctor's office? I believe Jesus' way is instructive in even these small matters. Jesus' call is the same, no matter the scale of good and evil in our lives. And it should be noted that the cross is not shorthand for any and all kinds of suffering that you might have in your life. Rome reserved a cross to execute political dissidents. So to take up your cross is to be willing to go and confront the injustice of this world head on. But injustice comes in all sizes. And if we're going to be able to confront the big injustices of the world, it will probably help us to start with the little ones. And every small thing that we do, we are called to follow Jesus on this way. We're called to tell the truth about little things in our lives so that we have enough practice that when we can speak truth about big things, so that we will be able to speak truth about big things when we need to, even when the truth is difficult or unpopular. And the same goes for generosity. We are called to practice sharing our table at home in order for it to be easier for us to share God's gifts with a broader and broader circle of people. And friends, if your life has been blessed, we're called to learn about that blessing, to learn what that blessing looks like so that we can recognize it 
when it's lacking elsewhere. And to realize that until there is justice for everyone, that there will be justice for no one. Jesus calls us today, follow me. And I pray that all of us will have the strength to keep going on this difficult road, to follow Jesus down the pilgrim way of Lent. Amen.